Welcome to the Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm Jill Funky, Communications Manager at Sioux Nation Ag Center, and we are so glad you found us. Sit back and listen as our staff hosts welcome guests from all aspects of the livestock production industry. It's our mission at Sioux Nation to arm regional, small, and medium producers with all of the resources we can put in front of them. And now, on with the program. Hello and welcome to the Sioux Nation podcast. I'm your Sioux Nation Ag Center staff host, Johanna Klinghagen, and former SDSU Extension Cow-Calf Field Specialist, Olivia Amundsen, is returning to the podcast today. Thank you for being here, Olivia. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Olivia was involved in a sale barn study that collected data to be studied and used to help producers make management decisions that could mean walking away from the sale barn with more dollars for their calf crop. Could you please describe your feeder calf sales study project? Yeah, so the feeder calf study or the sale barn project, like we called it, it actually stemmed from a conversation that I was having with some past colleagues of mine and myself. And this was kind of when I was fresh in extension and I wanted to put together a cow-calf short course, but cow-calf short courses can go in multiple directions. And I didn't know which way I wanted it to go. But one of my areas of interest was calving distribution because I feel like calving distribution really is a good representation of the whole system of the whole cow-calf system. And when we have a defined calving season, I feel like our management is more, I guess, on track to where we, we want things to be. You know, we're, we're calving out our cows at a more defined time, which means we should hopefully be able to vaccinate these calves on time. We're getting these cows, you know, preg checked, you know, um, our open cows are getting sold, things like that. So in my mind, when we have a defined calving season, we're just kind of allowing for like a better role of the system. And so we got talking about this uh, cow-calf short course and some of my colleagues brought up the sale barn data that had actually previously been done by North Dakota State University and some other uh, universities in conjunction with that. And what they did was they looked at some of the variables that were affecting the price received from calves in the sale barn. So they looked at like color and weight and vaccines and things like that. And really the main takeaway from our sale barn study, what I wanted to take away from it was how uniformity affects prices of calves received in the sale barn. And so that was kind of how we made our project a little bit different from previous studies. And plus this study hadn't been done in multiple years. And so we kind of just wanted to to go back in the sale barns and take some more data and just kind of freshen up some of that data that had been taken in years previous. So this actually was a grant funded project. um, And this, this project was funded through the North Central Extension Risk Management Education Center. And then our funding was provided by the USDA NEFA organization. And so what this actually all entailed then was There was a group of us, so myself, uh, Adele Hardy, who is also a former cow-calf field specialist, Robin Salverson, Kiernan Brandt, Heather Gessner, and uh, Dr. Julie Walker. So we were all part of the sale barn study. And so what we did was we collected data from five auction barns across the state of South Dakota uh, for four consecutive weeks. The barns that we actually sat in were Faith, Phillip, Hub City up in Aberdeen, Mitchell, and Fort Pier. And 
we were we decided on those five barns based on past numbers of cattle that have had ran through that barn. So we we essentially essentially looked at those barns. We looked at all the barns in South Dakota. Actually, calculated the number of feeder calves that ran through, and essentially these were our top five that came through. So we were able to collect as much much data as possible. We also, like I said, we did it for four consecutive weeks. So we were there October 4th, 11th, 18th, and then November 1st of 2021. We were able to cover approximately 24 sales and we got data on approximately 110,000 head of calves. So really a good, a good amount of calves to have data on and analyze that data. What info did you track, um, number of sales, number of calves, and other factors? So some of the variables that we ended up collecting uh, when we were sitting in the sale barn here was we, we did location, of course, so whatever barn we were sitting in. The date that we were collecting that data, we had seller ID, which ultimately was just a number. So all of our sellers remained anonymous, and that just started at number one and went to however many sellers were were in the sale barn that day. We had sex of the calf, number of head per lot. We had the average weight per head, hide color. We had a seven-way clostridial vaccine, four five-way respiratory vaccine. We tracked if calves were implanted or not, if they were crep fed or not, weaned or unweaned. Um, if they were part of any sort of branded program, we wrote that down. We wrote down if they had horns or not, and one of our colleagues wanted us to keep mud scores. So we, we did keep track of mud score on feeder calves and the backgrounded calf run, but we'll only talk about the feeder calf run. Then we had price per hundred weight and then price per head and then any comments that we may have had. And I will just say that we did uh, take out anything with weights below 265 pounds and then anything above 800 pounds, as well as any lots that contained one or two head of calves, just so it didn't skew our data mm -hmm. too terrible. So did location factor into price per head? And why do you think that may be so? Yeah, so when we were taking the data and when we got it analyzed, we did see that there was a little bit of a, a price spread between West River and East River. So our West River calves did receive a little bit more of a premium compared to our East River calves. And we speculated on this a little bit. And a lot of our thoughts were, you know, our West River guys are our grazers and our East River guys, East River guys are a lot more of our farmer feeders. And so we speculated that we just have more feeder calves running through the sale barn on the West side of the state in the fall. Whereas we probably have more backgrounded calves running through sale barns on the east side of the state in the spring. So that's kind of what we speculated. Some of the cool stuff though that we've done since I've done a few of my other podcasts was we had the opportunity to sit down with order buyers and sale barn owners and we we got to actually kind of hint to that question a little bit why we maybe saw some of those those differences and a lot of it actually came down to reputation of the cattle and the seller um, as well as lot sizes. So Again, kind of going back to you have a lot more of your grazers out west. You just tend to see greater numbers of feeder calves or lot sizes coming through those western sale barns. But then again, forming that relationship and having that relationship with your sale barn owner made a huge difference. And so those are some of the things that we we learned when it came to some of those differences in price from the west side of the state to the east side of the state. 
So did you see a price difference with the color of the hides? Yeah. So color of the hides was definitely a big one. And so before I go into the colors, I'm I'm just going to throw out there. So we had these colors broke down into red, red, white face, black, black, white face, white, and then white. And that was it. And then we had other. Okay. And, oh, and then we had mix. So mix was a combination. If you had, you know, black, black, white face, red, red, white face, and white, we, we just said mix. And then other would have been anything that included maybe your short horns, your brindles, your roans, you know, fleck phase, any you know, things that were just not your standard typical colors. And so what we saw, and again, this is in 2021, what we saw was that our black hided animals saw a premium over any of our other colors. So when we looked at black versus red, we saw about a $9 premium compared to the reds. Um, black versus white, we saw about a $11 premium. And then really when we looked at black versus white or other, so again, those, you know, roans, short horns, anything like that, we saw almost a $25 premium on blacks. Now, again, having some of that data that we know now from our order buyers and sale barn owners, the Packers played a huge part in the spread of why we saw more black cattle going for a higher price compared to to our reds and our whites. And anything that could go for CAB was ultimately what they were looking for. And so it's it's a management decision, definitely, in terms of how how should you breed your cattle. I'm not saying everybody needs to go out there and breed their cattle black because they don't. What I'm saying is that Certified Angus Beef has done a really good job at promoting and selling their product that that's what the packers are asking for. Now, after 2021 and we were seeing those price spreads, and even when you're sitting in, in the sale barn and you might have a sprinkle of red cattle in a, in a group of black, a lot of those red cattle would get pulled and you'd see a huge price de- decrease with those. Um, I think more of your associations are starting to jump on that and work at getting some more premiums for red cattle or colored cattle, which I think is really important. So I think if you're part of some of those associations, it's something to, to maybe speak up and say something like, hey, we need to make changes to how our cattle are, are being received in the sale barn because ultimately what we saw in our data is that they're receiving a huge price hit just because of the color of their hide. And so that was something we saw. Another interesting point since we are talking about hide colors is Herefords. When we talk about Herefords, if we saw Herefords coming through the sale ring, we definitely wrote that down. But Herefords really got knocked. And what we learned about that was, especially if you're a if you're a Hereford producer, there's nothing wrong with Hereford, you know, selling Hereford cattle at all. But I think if you're going to sell them in the sale barn, it's important that you look for some sort of a Hereford special sale to sell those cattle in. Because if you're selling those Herefords with black and red cattle at just any time of the year, you're going to see a huge dock in price. And actually, one of my colleagues one day sent me a number. It was like a $3,000 number. And I asked him, I was like, what is that your friendship dues that you're paying me? Or what are, where are we going with this? And uh, he's like, no, he's like, that's the price discount that these Herefords just got running through the ring compared to a group of black cattle. And so 
And then I had just made a comment. I was like, oh, they should have ran them through during a Hereford sale. So it's just, it's something that we've learned as we've been doing these, sitting in these sale barns, the order buyers and the, and the sale barn owners, they said the same thing. Like if you've got Herefords and I'm, I'm picking on Herefords, but if you have Herefords to sell, you know, wait till there's a Hereford special because you're going to, you're going to receive more money for those cattle in the sale barn compared to when you're selling them with, you know, your, your black or your reds or your whites. So those, that was some of the stuff that we took away from that. I found to be really interesting, but ultimately what it comes down to is just pick a color and run with it because too many times you see sprinkles of all different colors in a pen. Um, especially if you have a, a predominantly black group of cattle and you have maybe have two whites and two reds in there, at least in 2021, they got picked off so fast and they got discounted so hard. In my mind, it just makes sense to try and pick a color and run with it and get that group as uniform as possible. And I'm not saying hope for the best, but pray that your order buyers don't have eyes behind their heads and can see all any flaws that may be going through. Group uniformity is pretty important for the producer at the end of the day with its, you know, the bottom line to market those animals a little bit efficient, more efficient. Yeah, I would, I would say so. And I guess ultimately that was kind of what I was trying to take away from this sale barn project. And so when we looked at lot size and I, that's kind of how at this point we have been managing the uniformity of these, of these cattle, or I guess calling the uniformity of these cattle. And so we broke it down a little bit based on lot size. And so I'm going to try and do this as savvy as possible. But when we looked at lot size, so if we had a hundred or more cattle versus one to 20 head, we had, or if we looked at a hundred more cattle versus 20 to 50 head, a hundred cattle versus 50 to a hundred head, and then 50 to a hundred head versus 120 head and 20 head to 50 head versus 120 head. So I know that's actually, okay. So those are a lot of numbers, but essentially what it comes down to is if you had lot sizes of a hundred or more versus lot sizes of one to 20 head, you saw almost a $15 premium over groups of a hundred plus head. So essentially the bigger the lot size, the better return on investment essentially you got. And so I think this opens up an opportunity for maybe some smaller producers or, or to have a conversation with maybe some of your smaller producers. Cause even if you have about a hundred head of calves that you're bringing into the sale barn, you're still for sure going to have two sorts, right? So you're going to have your steer calves and you're going to have your heifer calves. Mm -hmm. But then on top of that, you're probably still going to have two more sorts because you're going to have your heavy steers and your light steers. You're going to have your heavy heifers and your light heifers. So there's already four sorts out of 100. And if everything's even, that would put it 25 in each group, right? So you're already back down to that one to 20-ish head per group. So you're already potentially missing out on some of that extra value of having a larger group, right? Now, some thoughts that we've, or conversations that we've had is, you know, what are some ways that maybe smaller guys could capitalize on having larger, larger lot sizes? And there's, there's been some talk, but a lot of it comes back to potentially working with neighbors and, 
you know, co-mingling some of those cattle with your neighbors or selling those cattle with your neighbors. But a lot of logistics come into that too, because you want to make sure that, you know, you're calving at the same time, your vaccine protocols are around or are the same, you know, you're managing those calves the same, you know, whether you're banding those steer calves or your knife cutting those steer calves makes a huge difference. And so there's a lot of logistics that come into that. I've had a few individuals ask me if we have any sort of a, like a cattle pool or a calf pool here in South Dakota. And that's something that I, I'm not even, I'm not sure South Dakota does. I know Minnesota has a really good lamb pool. And what I've heard is that the lamb pool works really well, but it's because a lot of people come together, they, they get along, they agree and they follow the rules of the group. And so they have this lamb pool that works really well. I'm not sure a calf pool is in our near future, but I do think it could be something beneficial. But logistically, I think there's a lot of things that need to happen before we have a successful calf pool. But I do think if we can increase some of these lot sizes, especially if we can make a pot load for our order buyers, that makes a huge difference because a lot of times those order buyers are in there and they're looking for pot loads because they're sending pot loads to these feedlots. And so if we can help some of the smaller guys get some of those pot loads, I think we can receive a better price for our calves in the sale barn. Going back to pot loads and going back to some of those conversations that we had with order buyers and sale barn owners is that it's really important to, again, have that relationship with your sale barn owners because especially if you're a little guy coming in to sell your cattle and your sale barn owner knows that he can be more strategic in where he lines up your calves so that they're selling with maybe a larger lot of calves so that your order buyers, when they're sitting in that sale barn can bunch up those groups and then have a pot load of calves. So going back to maybe some of those little guys, some of the, the advice that we could give maybe some of these smaller cow calf operators is that, forming a relationship with your sale barn is so important and having that relationship as you move forward and trusting them with the decisions that that sale barn is making for you is going to be really important. One of the sale barn owners that we talked to says a lot of the younger generation is hard to, to form a relationship with. And a lot of that is because there's so many different ways to sell your cattle. You know, you can, you can do it online. You can do it through Facebook. You can do it through the sale barn. And as soon as, one of the, you know, as soon as maybe a younger generation or a guy doesn't necessarily get the price for his calves that he wanted, he jumps ship and tries something new. And the sale barn owner just said, he's like, that's, that doesn't have consistency. That doesn't help form a relationship with your sale barn. And he's like, and I can't help that person grow and, and get the price for their calves that they want because they keep jumping ship. And so just a little words of advice, I guess, um, from some of our from some of the individuals that we interviewed, but also something to take in consideration as you prepare to sell calves. So if the listeners want more information, where is the study located? So the study is not published yet, to be honest. And so we took feeder calf data and we took backgrounded calf data. And now we're actually taking a little bit more data because um, some of the things that we saw from our previous data was weaned versus unweaned. There was quite a price spread between the two. And again, we scratched our head for a long time and we're like, okay, why would we see such a large spread between weaned calves versus unweaned? Because if you're selling unweaned calves, ultimately, you know, in your mind, you're like, well, that should just, that should be easier 
to bring those calves to the feedlot. But so we speculated that calves actually, or feedlots are more prepared for unweaned balling calves. However, again, as we were doing those interviews, we found out that guys aren't looking for weaned calves at during the fall. You're better off waiting until the end of December, beginning of January to sell weaned calves. And they guaranteed we probably wouldn't see that price spread. So we got back into the sale barns to see if that price spread actually diminished. And so there's more data that will be coming out. The backgrounded calf data has to be analyzed yet. And then there would be a data, there would be data published. However, if you have more questions or you want more information on the sale barn data, um, you can go to the extension website and um, it would be Robin Salverson or Kiernan Brandt would probably be your your first two individuals to reach out to regarding the sale barn data. Well, we look forward to that information getting finished up here hopefully soon and uh, see what the results came up. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Olivia. This could be very helpful to producers. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We'll catch you next time with more guests and topics related to the current egg climate.